0: Hello, and welcome to Being Boss, episode number 95. This episode is brought to you by FreshBooks Cloud Accounting. Being boss in work and life is being in it. It's being who we are, doing the work, breaking some rules, and even though we each have to do it on our own, being boss is knowing we're in it together. Today, we are
1: so excited to be talking to Jenny Shi. Jenny Shi is an uncompromising business coach who works with smart entrepreneurs who are fiercely committed to their own success. She shows them step-by-step step how to create a successful online business without having to work long hours or make huge sacrifices. Yes, please. She also believes that with the right systems and strategies, you can make money doing the work you love and also live a life you love. You can learn more about Jenny and her philosophy of success without sacrifice at JennyShee.com. As a creative entrepreneur, getting paid is a total priority. So I want to share with you just a couple of ways that you can get paid faster. One is send your invoices as soon as possible, preferably right whenever a job is complete. That way the job is fresh and you know the work and the hours spent on the project. Next, keep it simple. Be specific on your payment timeline. Let your clients know the payments that are due and when they are due. And you can automate this with FreshBooks Cloud Accounting. Get your free trial today at freshbooks.com beingboss being boss and enter being boss in the how did you hear about us section. It is super easy and intuitive and you can automate so much stuff so that you too can get paid lightning fast. All right, back to our episode. Jenny, thank you so much for joining us on Being Boss. We have so many friends in common that we had to bring you on the show.
2: Oh, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to talk with both of you. Tell us a little bit about your
1: background and how you got to where you are today.
2: Oh, it's a long story, but I will keep it as short (laughs) as I possibly can. So the, the, the short version is I have a degree in engineering, and I went to engineering school simply because I didn't know what else to do, and I was okay at math. And I went to college, and I pretty much hated engineering school, but I just wanted to get through and get a job, which I did. And I worked Wait, what at, kind of engineering? Uh, well, I went to school for environmental engineering, and I worked at a high-tech Company. I worked at Hewlett Packard, doing oh, okay. working in their R and D division for printers. So really exciting stuff. <laughs> just kidding, <laughs> totally just kidding. Um, and it was, you know, as far as corporate jobs go, it was a really great job. But after, and I and I tried a different couple different jobs while I was there. And after eight or nine years, I just thought, I cannot do this until I'm 65. Like, if I retire from this company at 65, I will be so regretful of my whole life. And so I started a journey of what do I actually want to do with my life? Something that I thought I would just know one day. And at that point, I realized, no, actually, you're never going to get blessed with this knowledge from some, like, purpose fairy. You have to go out and figure out what that is. And... Many coaches and therapists and books later, I thought, I'm going to be a life coach. So I went to school, well, training for life coach life coach training, and I quit my job and started a life coaching practice and started coaching women who were in corporate who wanted to do something more interesting with their lives besides corporate. And quickly, I realized that was totally not what I was meant to do, and I didn't really like it that much either. So I started working as a virtual assistant because I make most of the money in our house and so I, we needed to bring in some money. So I started working as a virtual assistant for experienced coaches and I slowly started to realize that I had a lot of skills from my corporate job like project management and team management and all, and just organization that these business owners needed. So I, I closed my life coaching business and I started jennychi.com as project management virtual assistant support for entrepreneurs. And over time, since then, I have learned a lot about marketing and business and have morphed from obviously doing that kind of work to now teaching people how to build businesses. And I love to say I could have never left my job and gotten to here where I am right now if I hadn't gone through so many mistakes along the way. And that's just sort of how the journey is. And I think my journey forward will be like that too. I don't know where I'm going, but we'll find out (laughs) as we go.
1: So were you able to circle kind of back around to coaching in the grand scheme of things? It's just a little bit less emphasis on life coaching and more on business coaching.
2: You got it. You know, I kind of feel like, and I see this happen a lot with women, there's this pendulum like we were in this I was in this super left brain techie corporate male dominated job and I swung way to the other side it was super squishy life coach and actually my truth was sort of in the middle so I sort of had to go back to the other side and now there's this balance between using the practical skills that I have just innately but also from my corporate career and then the life coaching stuff, because as you guys know, stuff comes up, fear and self doubt, and all of that comes up as we build businesses. So I get to use both in my work now, which is super fun.
0: I love that. And I love how you went at this with like just a very like test and change mindset with like, I'm going to do this thing and then if it doesn't work out so great. You're not just going to be there because you're already there, which I feel like a lot of people, a lot of people, in their life or in that in that place where you've made it to this thing you worked really hard you know you went to engineering school you like earned this more or less and but that didn't mean that you had to stay there and then you went off and did something else and that didn't mean you had to stay there either it's about (laughs) like continually course correcting not just giving in and staying on a path because you got there but doing what you want I also love how you say that the truth
1: is somewhere in the middle. I think that a lot of us creative entrepreneurs really crave certainty and we crave to almost like put ourselves in a box or label ourselves a certain way that makes us feel like we have some sort of truth to adhere to, right? (laughs) Or have some sort of like path with boundaries and we are not Going over that path, like we are just going to stay on our path and that's where our truth is. But you talk about the truth being in the middle. And I think that that is such a healthy mindset to really embrace and it also gives you a little bit of wiggle room to make it your own. Emily and I are constantly talking about how there is no single blueprint or formula that will give you a successful business. It's really about taking all of your different experiences from engineering to life coaching to virtual assisting and really blending all of those together to make it your own so you have your own specific offering and talent and skill set and even the way that you attract your dream customers
2: customers. I love that because I think you're right. I see it in myself that desire for certainty. Like I just want to know that if I do this it's going to work. Like it so doesn't work that way. Like, as much as we all so deeply want it. We want both certainty and creative freedom and expression. And it's like no. <laughs> you know, like it doesn't it doesn't work like that. And I I know I wish I had the answer, but it really is it teaches us to like really I don't know, trust and just be in the moment as much as that is such a cliche. It's so true. It's like, how do we embrace what we want right now knowing we don't know what's going to happen and learning to be okay with that and, oh, it's, no wonder why it's messy. Right? <laughs> Gloriously so, messy.
1: <laughs> how do you cultivate that trust in your own work and life?
2: Well, you know, I think – you said, Emily, uh, I love how you just sort of went, I don't remember exactly what you said, but went like slowly with the flow the whole time. I'm like, oh, I so did not do that. I learned that. (laughs) That's what it all taught me. And I think it's just practice. You know, I quit my job in 2009, and here it is, 2016. So I've been at this for I don't know, seven and a half years now? Is that eight and a half years? I can't do math (laughs) on the fly. For how good I am with math, I am missing. Anyway, so I've been practicing this for a while and I quit my job and said, I know with certainty this is going to work and it totally wasn't true. And I think in the moment, we just were forced into these places where, where we get challenged. So I quit my job and the clients didn't come in right away and it was a struggle and I just had to face it. Like that was just reality. I didn't, I couldn't escape. I don't have a trust fund. It wasn't like I could just give up. It was, we are now in this critical moment and you must decide what you're going to do. And I think, and it was really stressful. And now I can just be like, oh yeah, okay. This is one of those moments ah, where I don't know what's going to happen, but, but, but I'm okay. And I can just be okay. It makes me really uncomfortable, but I can be okay being uncomfortable Uh, I don't know, it's such a squishy answer. I'm sorry, I don't have anything more specific. (laughs) Practice. No, I think
1: that what I'm hearing you say is that trust is a practice. And just like you're never blessed with the meaning of life or your purpose in the world, you're not really blessed with trust or faith. It's totally something that you have to practice and cultivate in yourself and in your business. And looking back on those experiences where you felt scared shitless, but you came out the other side knowing that you're still okay, and really harnessing those experiences as evidence for moving forward. So I want to hear a little bit more about success without sacrifice. So first, (laughs) let's like kind of pick this apart a little bit. Let's kind of define success and define sacrifice, and then see how do we achieve one without the other.
2: All right. I love, I love that you just wanted to pick this apart. I think that's fantastic. So I define success as whatever you want. So I'm not going to tell you, Kathleen, or tell you, Emily, what you should want to achieve. Because it's such a personal thing. I'm not here to say that your morning routine should consist of meditation, yoga, you know, dry toast, and then a green smoothie. Like I don't, I don't, I don't, not one to tell you how to live your life. And so success is whatever you want, whatever matters to you. And so success for me is having a business that gives me the flexibility to live my life how I want. And that might sound really vague to you, but I know for myself what that means, what that flexibility looks like, what that freedom looks like, what that life means. Um, and then And so you're each going to define success for yourself differently. We have a friend in common who is looking to be very, very ultra-famous and uh, very noteworthy in her life, and that's what success looks like for her. That is not what success looks like for me, but I want her to embrace her definition of success. So forget what everybody says it should be and own that for yourself.
1: Can I ask you a little bit more about that? Because I think Mm -hmm. that we get bombarded with these images of success every single day on social media. So even as we're being told, as we're sharing the message of define what success means for you, it is so easy to fall into that comparison trap and really look to other people to help us understand what success is. So how do you think we can really get tangible or tactical or actionable about really defining what it is that we want? Want, whenever sometimes we don't even know.
2: I think that's such a great question because just like just like uh, quitting my job and all of the the path that took me to where I am today was not clear and it was not defined and I didn't trust myself and I had to learn to do that. I think we also I think defining success for ourselves is a learned process. So I didn't I didn't always know what that meant. So back when I was in my corporate career before I had the realization that I wouldn't stay there forever, I kind of had imagined in my head that I would be a VP one day because that just sort of seemed like a natural path for me and who I was. Um and but over time I would just ask myself little questions like is that really what I want and I would notice the kind of role that the VP played and say what would it be like if I put myself in their shoes and the first thing was is you you know if you're a VP of Hewlett Packard you have to own Hewlett Packard computers and I am a Mac girl. And so I would just start (laughs) to notice all of these little inconsistencies between what that would look like and what I really want. And so when it comes to entrepreneurship, we might say, I want to run like a $10 million company. We'll start noticing like, hey, what would that look like if I ran a $10 million company? Well, wow, I'd probably have to have a paid employee staff of 20 people. I might have to have offsite meetings where we all get together twice a month. I, I would have to be much more rigid with my calendar. I don't know. But to start to notice what would that actually be like and is that what I really want? So we start to have to get gently inquisitive. Like this is supposed to be, I think the process of defining success is supposed to be like a gentle exploration. Not, we have enough things that we're supposed to do hard and push and hustle and this and exploring what success means should feel freeing. You know? Does that answer your question?
1: Yes, and it's so good. I'm typing these up as tweetables right now. I'm doing the work of our virtual assistant, and I'm just writing it down because it's (laughs) such a good reminder.
2: Yeah, and so then your original question was, let's define success and let's define sacrifice. So success is whatever you want, and you have to get quiet and get contemplative, contemplative or whatever, however you say that, about what, what that is for you. And sacrifice is the same thing. So what are you not willing to give up on your path to success? I am personally not willing to sacrifice my free time or my health and well-being. Other people aren't willing to sacrifice time with their kids or travel or it doesn't matter. And so success without sacrifice is owning what you want and refusing to give up what's most important to you. Now, it doesn't mean with success without any sacrifice. It's sort of like, you know, we are humans living in a human world where there are consequences to our decisions. I want a lot of freedom. It means I might make a little bit less money. Somebody wants to make a whole lot more money. Maybe they'll have a little less freedom or free time, or maybe their health will go, you know, be a lower priority. It's this balancing act that we get to decide for ourselves.
0: Well, and I really see that as, like, as you setting your priorities and, like, having a nice, like, list of them in, like, in levels of priority of what are the things that you're not going to budge on. And, you know, for me, it's not waking up early in the morning. Like, that is the thing. (laughs) Right? Like, if I ever have to have an alarm clock to wake up in the morning, like... Non-negotiable. I will not We are it. not
1: members of the 5 a.m. No club. No way. Yay! No way.
0: I, I'm, this morning I woke up after 8 a.m. Like, and was so okay with it. Um, so that is one thing for me that I'm never going to give up. That is so- something I'm willing to sacrifice. Um, but, you know, I do like working at home. But if I needed to have an office space again, maybe in the future, like, that's something that for the right, for the right outcomes, I might budge on. Um. Mm-hmm. But not just for anything. So I think like having those like nice levels of priority and really that takes some hardcore mindfulness. That takes some sincere, in-depth, like thinking about what it is that you want and really prioritizing it out and weighing them out. Um, that takes some, some conversations with yourself. Gentle exploration. I liked that a lot. Yes.
1: <laughs> so interesting about this right now Emily whenever you mentioned having an office space how that would be sacrificing some of your flexibility for me right now I feel like I'm sacrificing the office space itself in order to accomplish some of the other things I want to accomplish that are high priorities for me right now so it's interesting how sometimes your sacrifices can kind of bend and shape and and what was once a sacrifice is now kind of a success story right I mean how many times have we been so excited to like the first time you ever had your own office space and we're working outside of the home that was a total success now that would be a total sacrifice and it's just interesting (laughs) how that kind of ebbs and flows in the life of an entrepreneur I think my issue is that I want it all like I <laughs> yeah. all of the things are a priority but probably whenever I get really serious and really think about it like what is my non-negotiable um, that helps me understand what I'm not going to sacrifice like my non-negotiable is working out every single day non-negotiable I put it on my calendar and it happens
2: Yes. Yeah, I think you make a great point because success without sacrifice isn't something that's stagnant throughout our whole lives. You know, I know you've got a little one at home and having a little, little kid is going to be very different from having a teenager and how that shows up in your life and how you fit in your time. And so it's a balancing act always. You know, it's not like we're going to find the answer forever. We're going to find the answer for now and honor that. And so there's that gentle awareness that always has to be with us as we continue to grow as humans and as business owners and as our business owners grow to make sure we're really being deliberate about creating what we want. I think that that's the piece that's really important is that deliberate choice because so many people just feel flailed around by circumstance that they don't realize how much of it is actually a choice at the end of the day that they get to decide. They may not like the choices, but they are choices.
0: Oh, I love that. So it's not just like mindfulness once. It's not you sitting down with your business model and going, this is how I want to work from now until forever. But it's, it's a consistent showing up and seeing what's working for you and what's not working for you. And I think that's something we can all relate to in terms of our very windy paths that have gotten us to where we are. It's that we're not okay with the status quo if we're not feeling totally happy with it. We're consistently mindfully... Showing up and seeing what's working and what's not working and making changes when and where they need to be made. And I think from that, like... All three of us are pretty happy, I think, in our life and businesses. We're all working the way we want. We're obviously not waking up at the butt crack of dawn. Like like we are, we're doing, we're really finding success for ourselves um, without making sacrifices that we're not okay making. And I think that, um, I I think that it's definitely attributed to our ability to just like talk to ourselves and find out what it is that we want and be able to structure a life and business around our priorities.
2: I I think the one other thing I'll just throw in there on that is that realizing also that we're human and we may say for example that we want to eat healthier and, and it's important and if it's not a habit yet we might not do it perfectly all the time and not use those opportunities as another way to beat ourselves up for not being good enough because as women I think that gets in the put in the mix also we we think okay this is what I want I know my priorities I'm gonna go do them and then we fall short of our own expectations and we just make, a, we make an unnecessary deal about it. But instead, how do, we, how do we notice what we want when we don't always live up to what we want? And how do we slowly, gently coax ourselves to making those changes?
1: You know, that makes me think about this balance that I'm constantly trying to find between being present with where I'm at being grateful with what I've got, but still harnessing the ambition to move forward and to reach my goals. So I'm curious if you have any thoughts on that. Like how do you balance, you know, because that's kind of the balance between success and sacrifice, right? Is being grateful for where you're at, but still having the ambition and and kind of wanting something that's a little bit out of reach.
2: Yeah, I love I love this conversation because I, As much as I am – I'm not an engineer anymore, of course, but as much as my brain loves structures and systems and processes and steps and as much as I love to teach those to my clients – Venturing more into talking about success without sacrifice takes me away from that structure and into this much more squishy realm, which is really uncomfortable for me because I like that certainty. But I, because I wish I had a really good answer for you, like I wish I could say, "Here are the three steps to to balancing reality and appreciation for what you have with ambition for going after what you want." I was hoping, as an engineer, you <laughs> would have those three steps. <laughs> one day, maybe. Right now, I don't. But one day, one day, I may but I think it's exactly what you said. Just holding like, you know, in one hand, holding. I am so grateful right now. So I am so grateful. I have the most amazing assistant on the planet. She is a friend of mine from college and it was crazy how it happened to be. And every day I'm like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. And I pay her well. And then on the other hand, that's like, okay, she helps me take care of so much, but I wanna go farther. And so at the same time, just owning that, I am a complex, unpredictable human being who loves and, like, deeply appreciates my most amazing team, and I want more, <laughs> and I think it's just being okay with both of those. Like, I can deeply appreciate what's working, and I can so want this other thing, but not let this wanting uh, be painful. Like, you know sometimes you want something, and it's like, oh, this, like, desperation that sort of hurts and then sometimes there's this like striving that feels so good and so how do you make that that ambition you have feel good like if it gets to that point of like it feels really gross then like okay check in like where that might not be the right attitude I don't know to have towards it but if it feels like a positive exciting striving then then that might be that might be the thing to follow the thread to follow but I once I have my three steps you'll be the first to know (laughs) (laughs) no but I think
1: that it's really good just to shine a light on the fact that a lot of us want things beyond where we're at Mm -hmm. but at the same time we can be grateful for what we have and as you were saying that what it brought to mind was this idea of desire versus not being satisfied Right? And how fun is it to desire something? So I'm obviously thinking of it like almost in a sexy context, right? Desiring. Of course you are, Kathleen. I mean, I can't help it. But, right? Like, what fun would it be if you're just like walking around orgasming all the time? Like, it's, it's the wanting of it that makes it fun. Is that bad
0: to take it there? No, no, no it's very Kathleen I think it's of good. you. Um, no, well, in. Uh, maybe not along those lines but I think the thing that I want to touch on (laughs) I think the thing that I want to touch on regarding this and this idea of like being grateful and like being ambitious is the amount of guilt I know that comes with like both feeling grateful for things which I think that can stir up guilt in people with like why do I have these things especially if like if you were born into, like, having more things than others, um, or even even the guilt that comes from working for things and earning things but still feeling guilty about it, next to the guilt of wanting more things. So I'd love to hear from both of you about that. Let's get all life coachy for a second. Um, about people who feel guilt both for the things they already have and for the things they know they want. Hmm.
2: Oh i I would say I get it. Like I really get it. Part of me part of me feels that way about what I've created. like how how did this happen? Like wow, but but when i if I choose to feel guilty about what I've created, it makes me feel really sick in my stomach. And I think to myself, how is me feeling guilty and sick to my stomach ever gonna help me help more people? But instead, if I say if I say something like, Holy cow. I do not know how I got this lucky. I have created something beyond my wildest dreams, and I know I still have so much further to go. This is crazy. And I am going to just appreciate what I have because when I sit with, and this sounds really cheesy, but when I just allow myself to be grateful for it as opposed to feel guilty about it, I now have all this extra energy to help other people do the same thing. But if I choose to wallow in my guilt, I go small and I feel shitty and life isn't good and I'm not out there helping other people. But if I choose to acknowledge like damn, this is good. <laughs> what can I do for other people? It's going That feeds me to help others. Perfect. That's exactly what I wanted to hear. Okay,
1: good. <laughs> I think that my guilt shows up a lot around being a mom and then feeling bad about feeling bad. So, for example, last night Fox woke up a couple of times and I have ongoing struggles with sleep deprivation and probably a little bit of PTSD around it. So I woke up really upset and then I got upset at myself for being upset. Like how lucky am I that I have a healthy, thriving child and I'm upset about like what losing a couple of hours of sleep. Who the fuck do I think I am, right? Mm. So that's how my guilt shows up is I feel bad for feeling bad. So then I decide a lot like Jenny, my guilt is serving nobody. So why don't I just let myself feel bad about being sleep deprived and then move on? And I think that whenever I can really embrace the feeling of feeling bad, I'm able to process it and get over it. And then I can move on. And I I think that whenever I think about guilt – It's one of the lowest vibrating emotions in our body. It's why it makes you feel sick to your stomach, right? And I don't want to attract any of that to me. I don't want my bad feelings to resonate with anybody. So I purposefully choose to transform it into something that is higher vibrating. And like, what is the highest vibrating emotion? Love, right? So I'm constantly choosing love over guilt. And I think that a theme that is coming up in this episode is just trust and practice. I have to practice love over guilt. It doesn't come to me very easily, especially in dark, dark moments. Um, And this doesn't just apply to motherhood. It applies to being a creative entrepreneur every single day. It applies to fitness and health habits and everything else. Um, So that's kind of my take on it. Guilt serves nobody.
2: I love that you said choice. I'm going to choose not to feel guilty because I think a lot of times we think we're of victims of our circumstances and to recognize that even what we feel is a choice. And, and and I love that you said I allow myself to feel bad for being sleep deprived. Like we don't need to pile on other things like guilt, but it's okay to feel tired and cranky and like you had a bad day. And so I I want to say yes to that too because I should have included that in my answer and it was good, it was good. <laughs>
1: well, Jenny, let me ask you because I know that you continue to grow your business while battling with a serious disease and I mean, that's something that you could start to really feel bad about feeling bad about or fall into a pity party or just give up. And I know that we have a lot of listeners who also battle with chronic diseases or chronic inflammation or insomnia or anything else.
2: Um, so I'm curious, how did you manage that? So back in, back in 2010, so I had been gone from my job for about a year, I started to be like, something's not right. Like, I don't know what's not right, but something's just not right. And uh, bad doctors and a lot of guilt and a lot of other things. A couple years later, over two years later, I was like, no, 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 something is really, really wrong. Like, I am not, I hurt everywhere. My brain is foggy. My body hurts. And so, a couple more doctors and a whole bunch of tests, and another nine months later, and I realize I have Lyme disease. And it, Lyme disease is the kind of thing where you start to treat it and you feel so much worse before you feel better. And so about a year, let's see, I start to lose track of time, but about a year and a half of treating Lyme, uh, I was in a really, it was really hard. So I had energy to work maybe 5 to 15 hours a week, definitely no more than 20. There was just like the brain power and the physical stamina, which sounds crazy, right? Because we sit at our computers all day. It's not like we're out there like lifting garbage cans or anything. Um, At most, 20 hours a week. And what it forced me to do was get super deliberate about my choices and about my priorities and about what was really important. And as the primary breadwinner in our household, not working wasn't really an option. You know, sure, yes, it was an option. We could have sold our house. We've got a fair amount of equity in our house. We could have sold our house and moved in with my in-laws. But, you know, that wasn't a sacrifice I wanted to make. So instead, I had to get really deliberate about everything I did. And so that's when I first started hiring out social media help because I thought, well, if I can spend 30 minutes less per day um, with social media, figuring out what to post, etc., that will help. I upped my hours for my virtual assistant, and I got really picky about what I did. So I had to make hard choices. So for example, I would get interview requests, And we turned every single one down. And people got mad. They're like, what do you mean? Are you too good to not have time for us? I'm like, you don't even know. (laughs) Like, that's not, (laughs) this is so not about you. (laughs) And it really had, I had to get focused on serving my clients because I had to make money. Making money to pay the bills was number one. And the way to do that was to serve my clients the best I could. So they got all my energy and everywhere else, I had to start cutting back. I had to be deliberate about those choices that I was making. And as I've gotten better, I'm not all the way better, but I'm maybe 90% better. I get to add back in, but I still have this learning of what's really most important. Where do I really want to put my energy? Is that worth the time? Is it not worth the time? And uh, and and it's made me more efficient. It's made me more, I don't know, like... I dissect what I do better. Like, is this really worth the time? Is this good for short-term or long-term? Is it right? Is it the right strategy? Is it where I want to go long-term? And forces, so I, it sounds so, I hate sounding cliche, but there's always something to learn from hard times. And I didn't know in the moment. So when I was my sickest, I wasn't grateful for being sick. But on the other side, I can see, oh, like this required me to do things I wouldn't have done if I hadn't gotten sick. And I can now see them as, Like, okay, yeah, that really sucked. It was horrible, but there's all these good things I got out of it and that I'm sure I'll still get out of it. So anybody who's in the middle of it, just, it's okay if you're miserable and unhappy and it sucks. Like, it's okay. Don't, don't artificially try to make yourself feel grateful for it. Like Kathleen's sleep deprivation. Like you don't have to be grateful for, for it in the moment. And look at what it, look at what it's forcing you to do to help your business because there's, there's a little glimmer in there of it's pointing you to somewhere better. I feel like that's what it did for me. You
0: just soak that up, you guys. Kathleen.
1: I watched a documentary on it. I but this and this goes into a deeper conversation, and you can cut this out, Corey. But it's like Lyme is one of those diseases that you really have to advocate for yourself because there's not a lot of research around it. For some reason, doctors are not taking it seriously. It's a really, you know, actually don't cut this out because I feel like there are a lot of people (laughs) battling with Lyme disease and it's a really complex thing that just isn't, I don't understand what the deal is with it. But I wonder if, did you have to advocate for yourself in, I mean, obviously in getting tested and really telling people, no, there's something wrong. And I wonder if advocating for yourself in that way. Again, that glimmer of hope gave you some confidence to really advocate for yourself in your business and to advocate for your clients and just believe in moving direction or changing things whenever they feel wrong
2: and really making it right. Oh, there's so much we could say here, Kathleen. And I kind of like have that chill of, oh, we're supposed to talk about this. So I'm glad you asked the question, but I will try. I mean, we could talk Lyme and I'm not even the most educated person on Lyme. We could talk Lyme for hours because there is medical politics. Like it kind of scares. When I started reading what the Centers for Disease Control has done and said and what the Medical American Medical Association has done and said around Lyme disease, there are doctor... I mean, it's it's kind of like a little bit like a like a movie. It's really it's we'll just leave it as it's crazy what goes on in the medical community around Lyme disease. And there are a lot of Lyme illiterate doctors. So, one of the one of the terms in the Lyme community if you say to say is an LLD, which is a Lyme literate doctor. Like somebody who actually understands what's happening in your body when you get Lyme disease. So people seek out LLDs. And so what happened in 2010 when I went to the doctor was, like, I'm just not right. Like, my brain's not right. I feel kind of funny. There's a few things that were not working. But overall, like, all my normal tests were normal. So she wrote me off as some just, like, annoying little girl who didn't know what she was doing. And she really shamed me for coming to her office and complaining that I wasn't right. It took me another two years. Luckily, I went to the next doctor I went to was a Lyme literate naturopath. And so she, her first diagnosis actually wasn't Lyme. It was something else that we treated for six months. And I was like, I am not a lick better. And she goes, oh, I should have known better. We need to test you for Lyme. And it came back and she's like, I know exactly what we need to do. So I got lucky compared to most people. A lot of people will just, they'll be thrown from doctor to doctor. They'll get, um, you get Bell's palsy, which is like, Like partial paralysis, they start to like they not be able to walk. I mean, I had a friend who was seriously sick, like in a wheelchair, unable to do anything. And people get really sick from Lyme. But what I find, so there's a lot of controversy about whether you can heal for Lyme and what chronic Lyme is. And and I'm not a doctor, but what I have come to believe is true is true for me is that I am currently Lyme is gone. I am now dealing with healing my body from the treatments of Lyme because Lyme. Really, killing Lyme is worse than having Lyme. It does all sorts of stuff to your nervous system. It messes with your brain. It really screws up everything, top to bottom. <laughs> I will, I'll leave out the details. <laughs> it messes up with everything. But I believe I believe that I have now eliminated Lyme. I have Lyme antibodies because that's what happens in your body. But now I'm on the road to recovering from the effects of having Lyme and all of the treatments. More than any other disease, okay, That's a really radical statement. What I, I, because I don't really know if that's true. One of the things I think about Lyme is it teaches us to be deeper in tune with ourselves than anyone else, any other, anything else, because it's like tricky. And Lyme has these, all right, I'm gonna do my best to keep this short. Lyme has a funny life cycle and it does certain things when antibiotics go treat it and like kind of hides in your system. So you have to sort of coax it out and then kill it. But then as you start to kill it it tries to hide again and so you've got you've got to start to play this dance with lime. And one of the things I learned was to really listen. So I started on antibiotics and that was the right thing. And I moved to these herbal tinctures. And every day I would ask myself, how many drops of this should I take? And some days it was none. Some days it was 20. Some days it was two. And I, I didn't always know. Like part of me would be like, I don't know if this is the right number. It's like, well, what else are you going to base this on? And what I found is the more I listened to what felt like the right answer, whether I knew it was true or not, the better I started to get. So some days it was like, go sit in the sauna for as long as you can handle it. Some days it was go for a run. Some days it was stay in bed. And it felt like I was just following these random instructions. But I decided the doctor is not going to know any better than I do. And in fact, most doctors get frustrated, the really good ones get frustrated when their patients only listen to them. Because the doctors, the really good ones say, you know your body best, you know your symptoms best. And so I think you're right in that Going through this whole experience, I had nobody else to trust but myself. The doctor can know some, can throw me some suggestions, but I've got to decide what's right for me. And I think. Business is the same way. Nobody knows the answer for you, or for you, or for anybody else, or for me. So i have just sort of got to take a really good guess and like bet on my own team that <laughs> we know what we're gonna do. Okay, so I don't know if that. That's, no, that is, <laughs> I, I could I keep going. Really, I stop.
1: <laughs> no, I think it is so fascinating and getting in tune with your body whenever it comes to health issues. Or parenting, or any of the things that come up in our life. And I put life in quotation marks because I think that so often we're likely to separate work and life, right? And we're trying to find this work life balance. But really, it's all the same. The same resources that we're drawing from as parents are often the same resources that we're drawing from as business owners. And really learning how to trust your body and your intuition there, I'm sure, plays a huge role in your business. And so, I'm wondering how you help coach creative entrepreneurs into trusting their own intuition and working smarter and not harder.
2: Yeah, <laughs> oh, there's so many levels to that question. So some of it is so I think about my beginner clients. People who are just starting out with their businesses they, they're, and I'm sure you guys see this, they're looking for the right answer, okay? And there is no one right answer. I tell my clients, I'm going to teach you the Jenny She way. It is not the only way that works. My way does work, but it's not the only one. So I'm not going to pretend that I have like, you know, a fast pass to the only way to make your business successful because nobody does. So anybody tells you that's totally lying. And so I'll tell them, I'm going to tell you what works, but I'm also going to tell you where you have to trust yourself. And you might not want to trust yourself and you might get really mad at me. But I can't tell you, for example, I can't tell you who you would most love to serve as clients. I can't know that for you. But I can ask you questions to help you figure that out for yourself. But you then are just, like like with everything we've talked about today... I'm gonna give you some questions. You're gonna take your very best guess, and we're just gonna go for it. We don't know if it's gonna work. We don't know if it's not gonna work, but this is the only way forward. (laughs) And so at the beginning, it's really learning just small ways to trust yourself and show them I'm not afraid of you trying this because I know that it's gonna be okay. I know you might be afraid, but I'm not afraid for you. It's fine. And then as we get more advanced in our businesses, starting to say, okay, how can we be smarter about what we're doing? Where do you love what you're doing? Where do you not love what you're doing? What would feel fun to try? And really starting, you know, more advanced business owners have many more things to manage. They've got people to manage. They've got their own time. They've got the strategy for their business. So in each one of those areas, what's working? What's not working? What would you like to see different? Again, sort of starting with that gentle exploration, which sounds really squishy, but if we just try to hit everything hard like a hammer, you're, you're not going to get to Success Without Sacrifice. So Success Without Sacrifice isn't a boot camp. Like, we're not going to get you there <laughs> with a boot camp. We're going to get you there by slowly asking questions about what would light you up.
1: <laughs> One thing I love about the questions is that It's really about living in the process of being a creative entrepreneur and really going back to testing and changing. And one of the things that Emily talks about a lot is treating your business model like a science experiment. And you're going to make a hypothesis. You're going to make your best guess as to what will work. And sometimes failure and knowing what doesn't work is actually a really great answer whenever it comes to a scientific experiment. Like how many scientists are actually looking to fail? Right? <laughs> All of them. All of them. You're supposed yeah. to
0: you are supposed to um come up with uh with experiments that are supposed to prove the thing wrong. Like that's how scientists work. You go after failure and it's happy when you get success. Yes. Yes.
1: So I'm also curious to hear your point of view. Something that I've been thinking about a lot lately is holding really big vision and really big business goals with Balancing and holding that with the daily grind and the daily tasks and the daily to-dos. So again, kind of like we were talking about earlier of holding gratitude and presence for where you are with what you want next. How do you take that to a business place where you're holding that big vision with the daily grind?
2: Oh, it's so good. I think there are two ways to look at that. One is... I, I see a lot of people come to me and say, I want to be, not a lot of people with this example, but this is one example of what I see people doing. They say, I want to be Danielle Laporte. She just writes and creates and speaks and that's it. And um, so how do I get started? And I say, do you know that Danielle Laporte used to do $199 coaching sessions? And, and that's where I think you should start. I think you need to start figuring out what it is you have to say before you jump there. And and so some of it is just practical. Like you've got to start where you are. A lot of times we have this big vision. We think, how do I make this big vision? How do I be Oprah tomorrow? It's like let's talk about how Oprah became Oprah. You know, let's go back to 1982 or whenever it was she got started. So I think the first part is acknowledging when we're wanting to jump to the end before we're ready to jump to the end. Like I couldn't have quit my job and do what I do now. I had to. Do all of those other things before I got here, and I'm sure it's the same for you guys. You didn't, you didn't go from zero to being boss, awesome, like overnight. There was all these things that happened, like some coincidences, some mistakes, some some good things. So I think we first have to just sort of check ourselves with where we are in where we are in the process of achieving our dreams.
1: Yeah, I mean, it took us ten years to be an overnight success.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> yes, I know. <laughs> right exactly it's so good and so so a little bit of that check-in and then at the same time not letting go of this vision so I have this very vague picture of where I might be in 10 years but I'm also so clear and I used to stress myself out of it like what am I going to do to make this happen and if I check in I hear a really quiet like later like later it's not time right now I'm like okay you're right and I start to freak out about it and I'll just oh I just check in with that vision and I hear later not now like oh yeah 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 right not now what do i need to do now oh right right now i have to write a blog post you know like really bringing it back to the day so honoring and holding that vision but also being really clear about where we are in the process of creating it and not jumping to um the end before we're ready for it
0: And to get really tactical with that, especially because you have such a background with like project management and stuff, I'd love to hear a little bit about like what that actually like daily task list list looks like and like how you manage that. I mean, having big picture, but also coming back to that like finite here, the actual things that I have to do today. What does that look like for you? Okay, perfect. So I think this is super
2: important p- place to differentiate between achievable goals and big visions. So in my mind, I have this like sort of intangible end
0: result vision, sort of like the does kind it of include like you. your own personal island? Because mine kind of <laughs> includes my own personal island. <laughs> There's an island, no, yes
2: and no, this is more my professional. I'm speaking more in gotcha. professional terms, but there's a there's an island out there, yeah, I have an island I, my husband and I joke about the island. that's where we go to escape all the crazies. Good. All right. I just
1: imagine a bunch of bugs on an island. <laughs>
2: But if you can make it your own, I think we would have a bug-free island. Yeah, no. I know. Go, go for a bug-free island. Okay,
1: you guys, I've heard, you know di- how Disney World has islands? Uh-huh. Apparently yeah. at night it's just covered in bugs. Oh,
2: I bet. And it's yeah. totally
1: creepy and disgusting. And then during the day, like, all the bugs go away whenever all the tourists are there. Huh. That's
2: just what I've heard. Okay, keep going. <laughs> Okay, so I think we have to differentiate between future vision of having an island or whatever. Like that, like real vision. Like there's no, it's not, you can't really touch and feel it. It just feels like a little bit hazy. There's an essence to it, but that's it. You know, that's like I want to be Oprah one day. That's or I want to have an island or whatever your big vision is. I want to differentiate that from... I have a launch in January that I need to start planning for, and I have a vision for what that launch will look like. And so this this extra, this big picture island vision, we'll just call it that, that's different. That sort of has some like space in my heart, but I'm not actually doing anything about it right now because I'm really clear right now that I can't do anything to achieve this vision in this moment. My job right now is to do the next big project. So really starting to f- bring bring the vision down to a level of execution because there are some visions that are not ready to be executed on but when it comes to the thing you want to execute on so for example my next launch in January I set aside time to plan we've got it it doesn't just happen the planning doesn't happen the steps don't uh do not get written out. It doesn't get put in base camp where our whole team manages it. I've got to sit down and figure out what does this look like? What do I want to create? How specific can I get? And once then it has like edges, once it can feel what this project is, then it's sitting down with my team and being like, all right, here's what we're going to do. What are all the things we need to do to make that happen? And when it was just me before there was a team, um, it was just me sitting down and writing pen and paper. What are all the steps that need to happen? What dates do those steps need to happen by? What order do they put in? And then I would look at them in order and say, oh, wait, I forgot this, or I'm going to need this other thing, and then hold myself accountable to those steps. It's very unsexy, but that is how the big stuff happens. So whether you're solo or a big team, the same things have to happen. You have to do it have to figure out what the steps are you've got to put due dates on them and then you gotta do the steps by the due dates I mean really that's sort of is that step, a, Amen, right? step no, that is step enough for you
1: yes that is okay. exactly what we do over here and coming back to that big island vision and or the wanting to be Oprah every time I get really impatient I'm like you Jenny where I I think not yet and oftentimes it's because I don't have the capacity to handle it yet if I turned yes. into Oprah tomorrow, I would right. probably have a stroke.
2: Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like all of those young kids who become um like overnight um, movie stars or or like music right. stars. we don't, don't want to people- turn
0: into Lindsay Lohan. Like that is Yes, not exactly my life goal. <laughs>
1: right. I mean, you know what I've heard about movie or celebrities that get famous at a really young age is that it stunts their growth. So think about Britney Spears. She became famous when she was, what, 13? Poor Britney. She's pretty much still a 13-year-old. Or even Michael Jackson. I heard that because he became famous whenever he was five years old. That's why he was so obsessed with recapturing his youth, because he had to grow up so fast, right? And he was kind of stunted in this five-year-old mindset in a lot of ways. But I think that, you know, I I recognize I don't have the capa- the capacity yet to handle all this big vision that I really desperately want for sure, but what I'm going to do is just do the best that I can with what I've got. Emily and I were just chatting with our community about business models, and a lot of them were asking us how we can create a community like Being Boss, and we didn't really set out to do that. We just set out to write the best posts that we could write, to record the best content we could on these podcasts. Podcasts, And that's all we can do. And then it just trusting again, the concept of trust coming up here, trusting that it would take us to that big vision that we were holding to that island vision or that Oprah vision or whatever it might look Mm -hmm. like. Um, But what's cool about trusting the process is that then your vision will unfold the way it's really supposed to and and in a way that is really meaningful and authentic and entirely unique to your own path.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And you know what I love about how you guys started Being Boss Podcast, which is such a perfect example. It's like, hey, I think th- I think this is the story I remember Emily saying, hey, I think we should do a podcast together. Sure. That'd be cool. Like, it was not like, I'm going to do a podcast because it's part of this big strategic plan to become Oprah. It was more like you felt pulled from this, like, pure heart place. You can't fake that. That doesn't, like, that doesn't just get made from our heads, that gets made from someplace deeper. And sometimes that's where the best business things come from. So yes, yes, that's what I have to say.
0: <laughs> Good. No, I completely agree with that. I think I think what I'm definitely taking away from this is, is what I feel like I take from everything these days. I'm really thinking about tattooing Trust the Process, like on my forehead. <laughs> because that really is what, what all of this – creative entrepreneur, live what you love, like be who you are. That's where it all comes from is it's not forcing anything. It's not wanting to be like someone else and doing their model or whatever it is. It's listening to what it is that makes you feel good, having clear priorities around what it is that you are willing to sacrifice and what you're not willing to sacrifice and holding those true as you build a business for yourself. Um, I'll let you guys know whenever I get that tattoo on my face. I think that, yes. I think it's going to be a big, <laughs> awesome thing.
1: <laughs> okay. I've got one last question for you, Jenny, and it's, it's kind of a tricky one. It's about money. Okay. So I feel like we've been having this conversation a lot lately around money and what to do whenever you're freaking out about money. And Emily and I see time and time again, creative entrepreneurs making it really hard on themselves to make money and I was curious in what ways have you seen creatives making it harder on themselves to make money like what are the blocks there and what do you think that they could do right now to make more money without working harder?
2: Oh, there's so so many nuances to this question. Money brings up so much stuff, doesn't it? I know, right?
1: <laughs> like why does money like seem to hold all of our worthiness in it?
2: Oh, so hard, so hard. I would say the first thing is to let go of the mental drama associated with money. So I think it's really easy for people to post on various places online like, oh, I just had my first whatever, my first big launch, or I sold my first big program, or I just made this much money, or blah, blah, blah. I think what happens is I have no problem with people celebrating. Like, I'm all like, go celebrate. That's awesome. You should celebrate. But what happens on the rest everybody else's end, not everybody for everybody else, but people who see that then make that mean something about themselves. They then take somebody else's win and use it to shame themselves into not being good enough or to, why haven't I got there yet? Or I started my business two months ago. Why aren't I making six figures yet? So-and-so said they did. I think there's so much backstory and there's so many other pieces to to making money and each of our own journey. And I think there's maybe a little bit of karma and a little bit of past experience and a little bit of things that we just buried us, that we just don't know that come into money. So the first thing is to stop using everybody else's stories to mean that your story should be yes. different. Because then that then frees you. It frees your brain to then start making the right choices for you. So this is the first thing that I would say around money
1: right I love that <laughs> I just wrote
2: it down It's not necessarily how to make more money but it's the first th- it's the first thing you got to deal with your head
0: right
1: Yeah I I I feel like there's this mindset out there that There's only so much money in the world. And that if someone else is making a lot of it, it means that you aren't going to or that they're taking something from you. And I'm all about the idea of not really thinking of it as a pie that we're all trying to slice up. But what if we could just all make the pie bigger? And what if as creative entrepreneurs, we could start to create an economy that demands the pie gets bigger versus trying to get it from other people, which I think is a very corporate
2: model. I, well, I just want to add, like, this, the engineer in me wants to add, like, a little bit of scientific evidence to back up your statement.
1: Please last do. Time
2: I, last time I checked, the world's population is continuing to grow. That means there's more people with more brain power doing more things, which means there are more people who need what we do. I mean, just, like, if you think about it from a math standpoint, we are creating money from our heads. Like, Holy cow. When I was in high school, I never thought that I could sit and just type something and then it would make me money. So we are finding all these novel ways to make money. And there are more and more people growing in the world who have things who, who need to buy things and need help getting through life. And I don't know. Maybe, maybe some people won't be satisfied with my pseudo scientific answer to this question, but I, I think from a very practical standpoint, there are more people who need to do more things. And since money is being created out of our brains, there's more. There's, there's plenty to go around. But there's no cap on this. And this. now that I say this out loud, it doesn't sound super scientific, but I stand by this belief <laughs> really firmly.
1: <laughs> I love it. So what are some ways that you think that someone right now, like an actionable tactic someone could do right now to make more money in their creative business? Uh, well, Okay. Or maybe so- like what have you seen in your own clients that you've helped make more money?
2: I, so I like to look at, there are two pieces that I look at. It sort of depends on where you are. Like, have you figured out how to make money yet and you just want to make more or are you still trying to figure out how to make money in the first place? Because I think the answer is a little bit different. So if you're, if you're just starting and you haven't made any money in your business and you're just figuring it out, first thing is make sure you know, like get a good plan. Like it doesn't have to be my plan. It doesn't have to be Emily or Kathleen's plan, but make sure you have a plan because I started out my life coach career coaching business without a plan. I just said, I'm going to get, I'm going to get 10 private clients. I'm going to fill two group programs and I'm going to do these three classes. And I was like, okay, that sounds really good. But how am I going to get those people to sign up? So the first thing is you've got to have a plan that brings people to you. And a lot of people think, oh, just spend money on Facebook ads. Well, no, that's not really a plan. So if you're just starting out and you want to make money, you've got to have a plan. You've got to know exactly, step by step, what exactly are you going to do that are going to get clients to pay you money. Break that down like 10x more detailed than you think you need to. Then if you're already making money and you want to make more money, I have this blog post on how to double your rates with integrity. It's not just about doubling your rates, but the idea being, how do you add more value to your clients without it taking more of your time? And that's like sort of a fun problem to solve. How can I create better results for my people, give them something more without it requiring more of my time? So like with a life coach, how do you create better results for your clients without just giving them more sessions? It forces you to get really creative. And often I find when we challenge ourselves to say, how can I get better results? Because you can charge more for better results. How do you get people better results without it costing, taking more of my time? That's where the most creative powerful solutions come from my best programs came from me asking that question how do I get better results for my clients instead of it being how do I make more money for me it's or how do I get better results because naturally more better results will result in more money but make sure we're solving the right problem
0: I love that I know that raising prices is something that our people like shoot us emails about so often so we'll be sure to add a link to that blog post in our show notes awesome for sure all right, Jenny. Emily,
1: do you have any more questions?
0: I don't think this so. Has been such a good
1: chat. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Where can our listeners find more of you?
0: Oh, thank you
2: for having me. So, I'm at jennyshi.com and if they want to know more about success without sacrifice, I am doing something that I've never done before, which is I'm teaching a totally free six-week and pitch-free, so I'm not even selling anything at the end, totally free pitch free class on success without sacrifice. What does that mean to you, and how do you create it in your own life and business? And that's com slash S-W-O-S, success without sacrifice.
1: We'll be sure to include that in the show notes as well. Thank you again so much for being boss and – sharing so much good stuff and getting vulnerable and just honest with our listeners.
2: Oh, thank you for having me. And thank you, you too, for creating everything that you've done. Like, Holy freaking cow. Your Facebook group has got to be, hands down, the most rockin' business lady Facebook group on the planet. And your podcasts are, like, drool-worthy. So, you, like, thank you both for being so awesome. And then I was like, oh, they're willing to have me on their show because you guys, you're a freaking bomb.
0: (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Oh, listen, we'll continue this love fest for sure. (laughs) (laughs)
1: For the month of October, Emily and I will be hanging out live to continue the conversation every Wednesday afternoon. And we'd love for you to hang out with us. In these free hangouts, we'll be talking about money, authenticity online, and redefining success. We'll also be answering any questions you might have about being boss in work and life. Learn more and reserve your spot for these hangouts at beingboss.club events. So, what's the secret to being boss? The secret is that there is no secret. There is no single formula, course, or book that will teach you what you need to know in order to have anything and everything you want.
0: But here's what we've learned along the way Being boss is setting up a solid foundation built on intention. It's understanding how to define success on your terms. It's committing to big-ass goals. And it's breaking those big-ass goals down into small, actionable steps.
1: It's about making faster decisions, trusting yourself to see it through, enjoying the process along the way, knowing how to measure what's working and what isn't, and surrounding yourself with smart, ambitious friends along the way. Those are the secrets to how bosses get what they want.
0: We know you want an online business that allows you to make money doing what you love. And boss, we've got you. The Being Boss Clubhouse is where we teach you how to be boss of your life and work.
1: The Being Boss Clubhouse is a two-day online real-time retreat followed by 12 months of ongoing community support, monthly masterclasses, and secret podcast episodes. We're only accepting 25 members for our next online retreat. Learn more and apply to join at beingboss.club clubhouse. Thank you for listening to Being Boss. Please be sure to visit our website at beingboss.club where you can find show notes for this episode, listen to past episodes, and discover more of our content that will help you be boss in work and life. Did you like this episode? Please share it with a friend and show us some
0: love by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Do the work, be boss, and we'll see you next week.